And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to a rather different episode of the Race F1 podcast with me, Ed Straw. As you probably already guessed, I'm not recording this in my usual home studio or in a hotel room on the road. In fact, I've just got into my car because today I'm going on a little pre-British Grand Prix road trip. Although I should say my car, it's actually a hire car as my car needs a little work on the left rear as it's got a bit of a mechanical problem. So I've had to hire one. The Silverstone race is such a big deal to the British-based team, so the build-up is predictably busy and full of excitement. I've been fortunate enough to be in invited to events at a pair of F1 factories, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to bring you all with me. First up, I'm heading deep into the Oxfordshire countryside to visit Enstone, home to the Alpine F1 team. Strictly speaking, this isn't an F1 visit because the event I'm going to is actually an Alpine road car launch, but there will be a few familiar faces there who I'm hoping to catch up with ahead of the Anglo-French team's de facto home race at Silverstone. After that, I'll be jumping back in the car and driving to the Williams F1 factory in Grove, which is around 25 miles south of Enstone. The team have arranged a special dinner for members of the media in their fabulous museum, which houses several British Grand Prix winning cars so this should be a great way to build up to what will be a cracking weekend at silverstone one of the most historic and prestigious races on the calendar so anyway i'm going to hit the road now and i'll speak to you at enstone Right, I've just arrived at Enstone, which for the uninitiated is one of seven active F1 factories in the UK, six of which are in what's known as Motorsport Valley, an area comprising Northamptonshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire. And it's fair to say this place really is in the middle of nowhere. You'd be absolutely astonished if you tripped over it while driving in here. It's all very rural, little villages. There was even as I was driving in a few miles away, a load of caravans and various uh, various horses on the verge with a big sign up saying horses for sale, which was uh, slightly unusual. I haven't seen but 
that I haven't seen that before. But uh, I decided against buying a horse because uh, getting on horseback to Williams later on will be a little bit too lengthy given how short a time there is between the events. And this is a massive facility, even though you can barely see it. It's really been designed sensitively. Quite a bit of it is underground, but it's like all F1 teams. It's a mini industrial complex. I'm going to wander over to reception now, sign in and see what's going on with this event. Well, now here in the race bay here at Enstone, which is where they prep the cars ahead of every Grand Prix weekend. This is where they're doing the presentation of the Alpine 110 S car, which, of course, there has been some F1 team input into. I can see Otmar Safnauer, the team principal, hanging around, so he's definitely going to be part of it. We know Pierre Gasly is around. Haven't seen the car yet, but let's see what they've got. Also, great to see loads of personnel from the Enstone team here. Most of the race team is here on site, of course, the British Grand Prix weekend coming up, so they're in the right part of the world and the chance to see the fruits of the labours as there's been plenty of input into this car from Enstone. So let's see what they've got to offer. Just a few words about uh, uh, Enstone. This is uh, our Formula One headquarters. Uh, between Enstone and, and, and Beery, we design, we manufacture, we produce, uh, we put together all of the Alpine Formula One cars. There's over 900 excellent employees that, uh, that work here, and you can see them uh, all around us. Today, we're here to unveil the Alpine A110S Enstone Edition. And it's the Enstone Edition because it has componentry within the car that was designed and produced here at Enstone to make it a little racier, a little faster, a little nicer. Not that the other ones aren't nice, but it is the Enstone Edition. I had to grab a word with Pierre Gasly. Hi Pierre, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I have to admit, when you're driving the car in there into the race bay, I was a little bit worried about track limits, but you kept off the walls. <laughs> Let's leave track limits aside at least for at least for Wednesday. You know, it's uh, I, I was quite confident this will go this will go well, but uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, I'm extremely proud to be able to uh, display this new uh, A110s Enstone uh, edition because I think it's a great connection between the the brand itself, Alpine. Um, you know, between Dieppe, where the car, the cars are made, um, and Enstone, which really crafted that car with uh, with pieces which are manufactured inside the factory, from the inside the car to the outside, all the carbon uh, parts that you can see have been, uh, you know, uh, crafted and manufactured by our guys from from F1. So it's a it's a great link, um, small edition, 300 cars, uh, very exclusive, but. Uh, yeah, with full honesty, I think it's my favorite car of the the old uh, um, the old Alpines uh, at the moment. Did you think to put it in your contract when you were signing for the team that you get one? I, I actually get a uh, couple, and um, at the moment I got um, A110S, but standards. Um, 
and that edition is is clearly my favorite. Just also in terms of uh, you know livery and and with the the, the gray and black mats, I think it looks really mean. So um, yeah, definitely my favorite package of all. And uh, maybe I'll 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 find a, a way to trade uh, mine with this one. Yeah. And obviously, it's been an interesting start for you with this team. Good for you to be here at Enstone, great facility, of course. How well do you feel now settled in with the team? I know there's been quite a lot of work going on to get 100% comfortable with the car. Matt Harmon was saying there's a few characteristic changes, hopefully, coming with the upgrade this weekend. So is it getting more to where you want it? Because you're a driver that, when you're confident in the car and it gives you that, that turn in confidence, you're, it's really visible trackside. Um, I will say we are getting there. Um, it's... It's always very tricky because, you know, coming into a new team, I obviously haven't had any input on the car uh, characteristic from last year, so it's a bit like a carryover from Fernando's and, and Esteban's work, and uh, it's like I, I, I settle in and whatever directions um, I want to develop the car into, it's, it's more at the moment like set, set up biased. You know, it's, it takes time until the guys can react with like front wings and floor and characteristics of the aero package, which suits a bit more my driving style. So I think this will come more towards the end of the year or, or for next year. But at the moment, setup-wise, I feel like even if the, the result doesn't fully correlate every time with the feelings that we get, that we get um, I feel that we're understanding more and more from the package and also from, from what I need uh, inside the car. So um, they still... You know, I still feel sometimes we we are like 99%, uh, 98%. Like we're still missing that extra, um, you know, performance from just getting absolutely everything that I that I want from that car. But uh, yeah, it's coming together, and uh, it's a, it's a constant evolution with the team, and and from you know the team and myself, like more understanding each other weekend after weekend. And hopes for Silverstone, this car's been quite bottom of the point, so kind of ninth, tenth on merit, the sort of thing you're expecting? I think on merit at the moment, that's where we are, like from eight to tenth. There have been signs of, uh, of better performance, you know, a qualified fourth in Barcelona, uh, was running in fifth in Melbourne. Uh, we've seen at times like that, we're able to put that car slightly, um, slightly up the order. Um, but we're just lacking a bit that consistency. For example, in Austria, just didn't have the pace. And, uh, you know, it's one weekend, we only two tenths from, from, from the Ferraris, but the next weekend, there's seven tenths ahead, and then it's two tenths from Mercedes. And there seem to be a bit more inconsistency from this top team, uh, where we always seem to be like right, uh, these two, three tenths behind whoever is, is bottom of the, the top team. So um, that's what we, we're chasing at the moment. We've got a, a new front wing coming this weekend got new parts as well in the in the next three races so um, you know I hope it can uh, it can close that gap and and you know at the moment a tense in qualifying can probably get us a row if you get a row in quali and you get a position at the start it's suddenly three positions ahead than than you qualify at the moment so um, you know that's what we need to target but um, yeah we clearly need to operate at 100% of the package we have makes no mistakes uh, at any moment to uh, to be fighting up there. Well, I'll leave you to get on with your negotiations for your car and I'll probably see you at Silverstone tomorrow. Thank you. Hi, Matt. 
This is Matt Harmon, of course, technical director of uh, of this team. We've got to ask you about the road car now. Obviously, there's always a desire for road car companies to say, yeah, there's a bit of F1 magic in this. But can you give a few examples of where there actually is some work and it's not just a, a badging exercise, as it were, stuff you've been really doing? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, in, in truth, we really have. It's been involved. It's been in the fabric of the team, you know, um, in, in, in the process yesterday of just going through and getting some of those technical details that we've put into the car, I touched on maybe 20 or 30 people that have actually been physically involved on a, on a high level um, of some of those features in the car. And, and they are using, actually, the composite materials. They were made in the same workshops. In, they were inspected in the same quality department. Um, they were using material suppliers and subsystems that we have for the car. So it, it, they truly are made as Formula 1 components. Those components could go on the race car if indeed we needed them. Only in an emergency, I'd have thought. But it's, <laughs> but it's great to see so many personnel from the team obviously interested in this. I was slightly surprised to see them all thronging around it. I thought it would just be business as usual and just this going on on the side. But this is really centrepiece of the day. I think they're very proud of the fact that it's the A110S Endstone. I think that's a big thing. Um, there's a, there's a, this is a very 30-year-old strong team. There's people that are still here from the team from some of those years. We saw Reese earlier. And I think people do... Like, this, is, this is a much-loved team. And, um, and I think this is a tribute to the team. And, and um, you know, the fact that it's exclusive and, and um, there's only going to be 300 units of that it's going to be, it's quite nice for everybody they feel special and there's been a buzz around this event for weeks so it, it's been good and what are you expecting for this weekend at silverstone it's fair to say alpine's been very very fifth recently and i imagine it's going to be more of the same but anything you know i know there's a new floor on the way at some point are you gonna have anything update wise here yeah we've we've got some updates for this race quite a significant one um i'm not going to spoil it for you i'll let you see it when uh, when, when you get to the to the circuit and um and yeah it's uh, some of the results came in for that this week so we're quite excited about that and um yeah, it's going, to, it's going to change some of the characteristic of our car, and I think that's important. I think that's uh, what we need. I've got to follow up on that, but what sort of characteristic changes are you looking for? Um, we're looking to move a little bit around in some of our um, low-speed balance. We're looking to understand a little bit more about um, some of our error balance in general. Um, and I think this does that for us. It moves us to a, di- a different place. It puts quite a bit of load on the car, but it also puts it in a slightly different way to how we would normally have engineered the car. So, so yeah, we're quite excited. We'll, we'll see how we get on. And given your natural enemy, McLaren had a big step in Austria, seems to go, well, I guess this is very timely and could perhaps restore that balance as it was in your favour earlier in this season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we need to see their resurgence over a few few races. Um, I think they're always very strong at Austria. So um, we're, we're normally pretty good. We're not so good in Austria, but we're actually a lot better in Silverstone. So I think let's, let's take a sample of three races and then we'll, we'll see, uh, see where we all are. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the upgrades and hope Silverstone goes well. We'll see you there. Thanks, Matt. Palmer, how are you? Very yeah, good, thank you. Looks good. Are you yeah. getting one of these as a company car? I think it looks really good. I, I don't think uh, there'd be a, a, a better link between Alpine road cars and the fact that some components of the car were actually designed and produced at Enstone than having the team principal have a company car. Uh, that's the uh, Enstone edition. So actually doing some work on it, not just a cost cap dodge? No, no, no. No, and, and, and it wasn't, uh, you know... I, I make sure that uh, uh, all the resource here is focused on Formula One. That's what we, we have to do. So the uh, c- components that were met here didn't draw much of the resource at all. So uh, it would have zero impact on cost cap. It's great to see so many staff here from Enstone enjoying the car, but obviously the British Grand Prix is a big weekend. Matt was saying there's some new bits and pieces this weekend, a few characteristic changes, so I guess a much-needed boost given this car's reasonable, but not quite where you want it to be. Yeah, so we got another upgrade coming in the, in the front wing, and like Matt said, with, a, a, with lap time and characteristic change, so I look forward to 
to running it and uh, optimizing it around the rest of the car and uh, see what we can do. And in terms of the, the objectives for this year, obviously the target that was set at the beginning of the season was finish fourth, but closer to the top three. I don't think you're going to do that now. So, so what are the revised targets? Yeah, so, you know, it looks like the, 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 the gap in, uh, in points uh, will be such that that's going to be difficult to, to achieve. And uh, we're still trying, uh, but we're realistic that it may not happen. However, if towards the end of the season... We're the fourth fastest team and picking up good points, even though we don't overtake one of them, that will be a success. That's very similar to McLaren's objective. So once again, it's you two locked in battle. Well, uh, I didn't realize that was their objective. I said ours, you know, relative to what what else I see around us. And we just have to work hard to upgrade the car and make sure uh, we give the drivers the, uh, the, the car underneath them to score good points. And it's worthwhile we're here just asking about the Anstone facility. Obviously, I've been here on and off over the years. You see it evolve. It's still evolving. How close is it to the finished product for a, a championship-winning cost-cap era team? Well, we're probably three to four years away from that, from getting the infrastructure in. Maybe three. You know, there's some, some big bits and some big pieces of uh, simulation tools that we need, and, the, and they're coming. Some have been ordered, some haven't. Uh, and, and those take a couple of, to three years to produce, install, you know, build the buildings around them. And then once we have all that, and in the meantime, we're also hiring some like-minded individuals with skills that we require, uh, put all that together, and then we should have the foundations to challenge for championships. And obviously, you've got some Hollywood money to put into it now. Lauren Rossi said that some of that will be invested. So in terms of the things you're working on, is there a new driver-in-loop simulator among them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. State-of-the-art driver-in-loop simulator. It's been ordered already, but again, that takes years to, to build, install, get get uh, up and running. But yeah, that's that's already been ordered and then some other simulation tools as well. So the timeline for that being up and running and contributing 25? 25, yeah, 25. Excellent, something to look forward to. Lots going on here. Hope the British Grand Prix weekend goes well. Thank you. See you there. Right, so I'm back in the car in the car park at Enstone after that event for the launch of the Alpine after we had a little bit of a look around some parts of the factory as well, which is always great to do. I've done it before at Enstone quite a few times actually, but it's never a bad thing to be reminded of the sheer number of people and the effort and the machinery needed to make two F1 cars and race them. Obviously, putting those cars on the track is the culmination of an enormous amount of expertise and effort. So good to be reminded of that. And you get to see just the sheer scale of it. Obviously, other design offices, countless designers. Had a quick look in the race ops rooms. There's 24 stations in there for people to work on strategy you have a little aero team in there all monitoring the race etc and you can have some specialists in depending on the situation what session it is etc with all the live data wired back in pretty much as live so that's really an extension of the race team track side and then you've got the astonishing array of machinery they've got these precision cnc machines manufacturing parts of just immense beauty actually when you look at them plus a little bit of old school know-how as well because they still fabricate the exhausts by hand it's a great skill we had a look at those some of those parts and you have this incredibly thin titanium it's like really really impressive that the skill sets that need to combine to make an f1 car are quite something and of course alpine 
is a team that's come a long way obviously this facility has been through ebbs and flows over the years i remember going there right towards the end of the lotus days and it seemed quite patchy because it was a little bit under invested in and i think the headcount had gone down a little bit but now it's 900 odd people loads of investment from Renault group since they took over the team ahead of the 2016 season so it's certainly a team that's going somewhere. And as Otmar Safnauer mentioned, there's some money there for investments in certain aspects of the facility. So I really feel now that this is a team that, along with McLaren and some of the others, is looking to 2026 now for that rules reset and that chance to kind of take a big leap forward obviously they've been jumped by Aston Martin this year they're not going to hit their targets this year but there's still a lot that's good about this team if they can break out of that sort of midfield pack it's fragmented a bit more they're almost in no man's land although we're not completely sure where McLaren is right now but yeah great to go to Alpine and now I'm going to head down to Williams so I've got a quick drive I'll probably stop off for a cup of tea along the way and get a little bit of work done because I've got a little bit of time in between but next time you hear from me through the magic of editing I should be in the car park at Williams waiting to head in for what should be a very pleasant evening Aramco continuously pushed the limits of engineering excellence. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance and accelerate human potential. Aramco, powered by HAL. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done.
Well, I've just arrived at Williams. Quite a contrast to Enstone, a more conventional kind of F1 facility. It's got that slight industrial estate vibe, although it's its own independent site and it's got a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of landscaping and that kind of thing, quite tree. So it's quite pleasant for that, even though the buildings are relatively functional, I, I guess perhaps is the word. Now, the building we're going to be in tonight is the conference centre. I think it's called the Experience Centre now, but that's got the museum in it, their event space, and it's a really really nice facility actually in the museum they've got basically it's a a history of formula one history of williams you can wonder by four decades of f1 car developments in a handful of paces it's really really quite something i can't think of any other f1 team that makes such good use of their historic cars it really is absolutely magnificent and every time i come here and i've been fortunate enough to come here quite a few times it's always absolutely captivating and uh, i suspect we'll be having uh, dinner in the museum they tend to have a, a, a setup in there for these sorts of events we know james vowles is going to be there frederick Brousseau as well sven smeets the sporting director so that's three of the key members of the leadership team at williams so interesting to see what they have to hear so i'm going to head in and i shall report back later now tonight is a night in the museum um, it has nothing to do with the 2006 blockbuster with Ben Stiller or Dick Van Dyke. They are not making appearance, but we have our very own Hollywood star. I think we should kick things off with you, James. Yes. Um, because it's been a whirlwind journey for you. We're talking numbers, so I'm going to get specific here. Uh, today is your 133rd day on the job. And it started, yeah, in a bit of a whirlwind fashion. You were basically, I think, two days into the job, and then you were sent off to Bahrain. How was it, and how's it been? Uh, good. I think you described it well. It's a whirlwind. I, I was sort of telling you back up there that um, it's all blurring into one from February when I joined to, to today, and that's a positive thing. It just means that every day is flying by at the moment, and I'm wishing for more time. The team's been really welcoming. Um, I think that's the, the first and foremost out of all of this. We've had an environment where the, the team really wants to, to move on to the next level and move up. And that means that from the outset, actually, there hasn't been resistance. There's been quite the opposite. What can we do? How do we move forward? Uh, for me personally, it's been a fantastic journey. You, you described it well. I think day number one was an F1 commission. Day number two was Bahrain test. So it was pretty much yeah, a deep end. Yeah, really. Baptism um, of fire there. Just, of fire. A, just to really test you. Well, we've just heard from James Vales, Frederick Brousseau and Sven Smeets. They had a uh, media presentation is perhaps the best way to put it. It wasn't so much a uh, conventional little press conference, but Nicky Shields of Formula E fame was hosting and, uh, and posting the questions to them. A couple of things particularly caught my attention. One of them was James Vales talking about Logan Sargent. Now, of course, team principal will pretty much always defend their driver but he picked up on something that was actually obvious from following on the Austrian Grand Prix weekend that Logan Sargent had a a, a decent weekend 13th in the Grand Prix qualifying perhaps wasn't as strong as it should have been but there's a feeling I think now that there's a bit of a foundation a bit of a uh, a bit of a point to build from for Logan Sargent now because he's had a few flashes he's been quite peaky there have been moments and there have been times where you think yeah he's just showing signs of 
showing Alban-like pace or that kind of thing. It's not quite come together. Now, Austria wasn't a perfect weekend by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the hope is that that's a point to build from. And I think if Logan Sargent, one of the reasons that I'm confident he can stay on next year is I've seen enough to think that if it does coalesce and come together, he can put together a string of decent weekends and hopefully earn his place for next season. Still some work to do. He's got to put it together and show he can do that. But interesting trajectory let's see how he gets on i think the next few races before the august break are going to be pretty important for him now the other thing that was interesting james vales was talking about it's something he's talked about before is the whole question of capital expenditure now we all know the cost cap but when we talk about the cost cap the 135 million dollars baseline figure it's about 145 million once you take into account add-ons that's what you spend to design build and race your car basically in, in, in broad terms but there's also the whole question of capex now that's your infrastructure it doesn't cover buildings incidentally but yes that's all about what kind of uh, machinery you've got your systems james Wells has talked about having uh, uh, processes and systems in place to track parts etc and their development the design sign off rather than just emails thrown around the place that's a pretty hefty thing to invest in so it's all that sort of thing and williams as james vales often says has had 20 odd years of under investments which isn't for lack of desire ultimately it was a team that was privately owned independently owned at a time when there were very large organizations bumping up the budgets automotive manufacturers for the most part red bull i guess was the odd one out there but now in this cost cap era the era of a more equitable concord in terms of how the share of the revenue that's split between the teams is distributed, that's all good for Williams. But the capex side of things isn't great because it comes to about $36 million over four years you can spend. But Vals has said in the past that maybe Williams is in the region of hundreds of millions off being at the level that Mercedes is at. And he says it's really important to get this team to be able to be in the in the ballpark, not quite at Mercedes, Red Bull facilities level, but in that general region. And that's going to spend more than the CapEx cost cap limit allows to be spent. He's been lobbying quite hard. He says the next month or so is going to be the crunch time for this. Now, FIA and F1 itself are broadly on board. With a voting system, that means they need to get a, a few more teams on, on their side. And as James Fowles said, there's uh, a few teams who are broadly on their side but everybody's jostling for position and trying to get some kind of organization some kind of agreement rather that works for them that favors them that's just the politics of formula one so a couple of interesting things there and i think that encapsulates where williams is at because we know there's a lot they need to do in terms of strengthening technically but they're coming on nicely the car is not too far off the pace i think it's about 1.7 percent on average this year it was about 2.6 percent off the pace on average last year so that progress is there long way to go but they are getting there and i think realistically it's still going to be a long time but you're seeing signs i guess of recovery that's james Wales's big objective he's already had an impact on the culture of the team trying to change the way things are done and that's had a, a bit of an effect but there's yeah a big picture here and it's good to hear what they're trying to do and how they're not just trying to be prisoners of fortune but really push hard to get that capex rule changed so i think we're going to go on to dinner in a moment in the museum so hopefully i'll be able to give you a bit of an idea of what it's like once we're inside there well you join me in one of the finest rooms i think for any 
Formula One fan in the world. I'm standing just in front of a trio of Williams Formula One cars, the Williams FW07, the FW07B and the FW08. And these are hugely successful cars. The the cars that obviously the FW08, Keki Rosberg took to the world championship. Obviously, Alan Jones had a huge amount of success in the FW07 and FW07. And this is the point where Williams was really making a name for itself. Obviously, Williams Grand Prix Engineering was created in 1977. Initially, it ran customer marches. Patrick Head and Frank Williams formed it. And this was the point where they started showing they were incredibly serious. There's also the six-wheel car here on display, which is absolutely fantastic to see. That's just on uh, across the way as you go in. That's the... Uh, FWI8B, of course, the designation of that in 1982, that ultimately got banned before it could race, which was a little bit unfortunate. Patrick Head wasn't very happy about that one. But this is what you get in here. It's the whole living history of Formula One cars, certainly back to the very late 70s when Williams was in its early days. And there's a lot of British Grand Prix winners here as well. That's the thing that I think is well worth remembering because... I guess the the first Williams victory, obviously, in 1979 was Clay Regazzoni. That was a race Alan Jones in the sister car was going to win. He was leading, but he had an engine failure, I think, was down to a water pump problem, if memory serves. But they won the British Grand Prix in 79 and 80. Alan Jones won it. Nigel Mansell had four British Grand Prix wins. The FW14B win in 1992 is probably the most famous, but that was, yeah, the peak of Mansell mania. Alan Prost, of course, won in the FW... 15C, Damon Hill in the FW16 and then Jack Villeneuve won a couple of times. The FW14B unfortunately at the moment isn't on display here, I think that's in the uh, London uh, space at the moment but usually you have the full set here and it goes all the way around to the present day. There's also for those who remember the BMW LMP1 car that Williams did, there's a, a wind tunnel model of that that's, uh, that, that's sat there in the corner and there's a Jason Plato touring car as well so it tells you a little bit about the history of Williams but also some of the other projects they've been involved in at times in the past there's been the Metro 6R4 they were involved with as well that's not on display that I've seen yet but yeah there's just so much to celebrate here and what I do like is the effort that Williams has gone into to present this because a lot of teams have got this history but not a lot of teams make the absolute most of it and you could imagine if you were having some kind of event and, and did it here it would be absolutely brilliant for anyone who's got even a modicum of uh, a feel for Formula One and its history. So it's great to see these cars. And now we're going to head for some dinner and have a little bit of a chat, uh, hopefully with, with some of the key players at Williams and, of course, my fellow journalists. And, yeah, I shall speak to you shortly. I've just jumped back in the car. Uh, dinner is done, so I'm about to head off back down south as I need to be down West London Way to pick up a certain Scott Mitchell Malm in the morning to head to Silverstone. Yeah, really interesting evening, a very pleasant dinner. They they put on, again, a lot of effort with their, their dining here. And in true Williams fashion, I was able to have a cup of tea at the end of it, which I think is uh, a very civilised way of doing things. That's uh, massively in the tradition of Frank Durney and, uh, uh, and all that still that history that that's uh, that's here at williams which i enjoy but yeah interesting going into silverstone obviously it's a big weekend for the team silverstone there's been so much success i think they had their first win well i know they had their first win and their hundredth win at silverstone so 
a great event and there's more staff than normal they're able to go up obviously your operational staff limit is still there but they can also go as guests just watch from the grandstands because one of the amazing things is there's so many people who make formula one cars quite often a lot of them don't get to see them this is a good opportunity for that so yeah very upbeat heading into the weekend and yes interesting things happening at williams there have been a lot of false dawns in the past for this team over the past 20 years but I think there's a sign that there's a direction, certainly under the ownership of Dalton Capital. Things are looking up, but it's just going to take a very, very long time. That's just the nature of things in Formula One. Well, I'm going to head off now. Thanks very much for joining me for this pre-British Grand Prix road trip. I guess I should briefly tee up the British Grand Prix weekend. It's going to be an interesting one. It won't surprise anybody that Red Bull are the favourites. Of course, last year, Max Verstappen showed that sometimes a bit of bad luck can get in the way because he picked up some debris from Red Bull stablemate Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly's collision. Obviously, Tsunoda, a slightly ill-judged move he made there, and that was what cost Verstappen victory and ultimately Carlos Sainz won for Ferrari. So Red Bull favourites, Mercedes have got the next part of their upgrade, building on that Monaco upgrade, so there'll be a new front wing here, so that's something to keep an eye on, whether they take a bit of a step, have a better weekend maybe than Austria. We know that Alpine have got an upgrade, as was being talked about earlier in the podcast. We know that AlphaTauri have got a floor upgrade, that they say is really targeted on improving their major weakness, which is this uh, rear instability in the late corner entry phase that then transitions to understeer mid-corner they've made a bit of progress with that with some previous floor upgrades but this is the first one that's really targeted on that they say and that's pretty essential for AlphaTauri because they're having a difficult time they're bottom in the championship now Williams has moved ahead of them and uh, yeah they have some work to do uh, Alfa Romeo themselves also have a floor upgrade for this weekend they're hoping to find a little bit more qualifying pace Haas has a few bits and pieces Williams has a, another step as well so we've got upgrades all the way through the grid pretty much mclaren of course has got the next chunk of their upgrade building on the austria progress so yeah the chance to see where everyone stacks up on a track that is very high speed and of course we've got the slightly tweaked pirelli tires as well they were tried in spain in free practice not a massive difference but once they used in anger on a proper grand prix weekend we're going to hear from teams who are happy and teams who are unhappy with that particular change so lots to look forward to heading into this weekend the big question is well can Max Verstappen and Red Bull add yet another victory every chance they will but this is Formula One and you never know what's going to happen so I'm heading off you will hear from us after the race on our usual race review podcast and everybody who's watching enjoy the British Grand Prix Athletic.